0: This is Raspberry Lemonade, the Arnold Palmer of podcasts. A refreshing dive into the stories of industry professionals, both sweet and sour. And now, your host, Mr.
1: Levi.
0: This is the Raspberry Lemonade Podcast. Today, we have Rodolfo Ramirez. How are you doing?
1: I'm uh, doing really well. Thanks for inviting me. I'm super excited to just kind of talk to you, share a little bit about my journey. It's been quite the journey. I'm 11 years in, which is kind of crazy to even think about and say out loud. But yeah, I uh, turned uh, 11 years. My brand uh, that I first started called Pocket Square Clothing turned 11 years uh, back in May. But since then, I've become the owner of a 50-year-old apparel manufacturer based out of Los Angeles that I was able to buy about four years ago. Also started a leisure wear brand during the pandemic. Kind of a little pandemic pivot for us. Uh, Been really busy. Hire. Then. <laughs> and then recently... Became one of the co-founders for a fairly successful uh, NFT project called Ivy Boys. And that's under the umbrella of BBRC Studios, which I'm co-founder of. So serial entrepreneur, I think, is probably the proper term for me now. But um, (laughs) interesting journey for
0: sure. I'd say so. Wow. Jeez. And I thought I was busy. (laughs) So, All right. Well, again, thank you for taking the time to do this. Yeah. Like I mentioned, you know, off the record, this is a new venture from for myself. And you have plenty of experience, you know, doing media, social media, you've done podcasts. I guess I'll even start with the question for myself like, what can you recommend to me personally when it, you know, when it comes to that type of thing?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we, we spoke a little bit off air here, but. For me, one of the very first things that I learned uh, being an entrepreneur is really to just do it. Uh, You can be scared. You can be financially not stable. You can have no capital, but uh, it's important to just kind of get out there and do it. I can share an anecdote for me. For example, when I first started my brand, I was studying architecture at USC. Uh, My business partner now, uh, we were roommates in college and you know, I, I kind of wanted to start a streetwear brand uh, very early on because I grew up in the inner city. That's what I knew. I knew streetwear. I knew I was a sneakerhead, And so I was like, that's an easy foray for me to go into. So I, you know, I probably spent about a thousand dollars to just buy equipment. Uh, and it was all kind of like through student loans. Like uh, I did a work study program at USC. So I used some of that money to essentially buy screen printing material. But while I was studying abroad throughout Asia, I I had the opportunity to travel to Vietnam. Uh, there, I had a ton of suits made. I had a bunch of bow ties and accessories made. So that kind of sparked an interest in maybe getting into the formal wear business as well. But I was like, I'm studying, you know, architecture, and I'm also starting a uh, uh, like a streetwear brand. So I'll do that when I get back. Came back. Found out that all of my equipment that I had purchased got stolen. Oh, no. Uh, My mom was like, hey, you know, I have some bad news. I didn't want to share it with you because I wanted you to enjoy your study abroad trip. But while you were away, someone broke into the garage and literally stole everything. (sighs) So I'm sorry. And I was like, that sucks. But you know what? Maybe it's God telling me that it just wasn't in the plans and I should just pivot. And at the end of the day, I'm studying architecture. I'm getting a degree in that. So let me pursue that. Andrew, my business partner now. Reached out to me and said, Hey, I heard what happened. It sucks, but maybe it's a blessing in disguise. You know, you kind of always talked about wanting to do something more like GQ. You know, perhaps there's an opportunity for us to partner and do something that has a little bit more legs, is a little bit more complicated and more ambitious. And I was like, Yeah, let's do it. Absolutely. 100%. I'm down. I will do this with you. Very soon, a week later, after kind of sitting down and trying to sketch and do things, realized number one, I don't have any fashion background number two we had zero money because we didn't come from money uh and number four we knew nothing about really starting and running a company so we had to literally learn everything from scratch so we had a how are we gonna do this <laughs> it's like damn it now but what? <laughs> we were like okay we're smart we'll figure it out like at the end of the day, you studied architecture you know about composition design uh how things come together he studied business and film, so he knew something about, okay, you know, that I know the concept behind how to start a company, but obviously we didn't have any capital. So we were like, let's take a bet on ourselves. What's the easiest way we can get $2,000? We'll both take out a $1,000 student loan. <laughs> Again, similar to my other one. Let's get so in some more debt. Yeah. Okay. Let's get in some more debt. But we were leveraging. You know. You know. Our future is on the present. Right. You know. We'll right. worry about that when we will worry about it. And so we we took out a thousand uh, dollar student loan each, and set out on a journey to establish a global brand. Uh, we wanted to be like Ralph Lauren. Still do. That's still in our mission and our card. So we, literally, I want to be able to design paint colors. Furniture NFTs, yeah. like literally everything, because you know part of it was we wanted to be able to share our love for design with the world. So we started with that intent: share our love of fashion and design with the world. Everything else will come after that. But it was an eleven-year journey thus far to get to where we are today, and we'll we'll talk more about it. But again, my advice would be to literally just do it, no matter how much money you have. What you do have, hopefully is a little bit of time and some perseverance and an ambition to do something. It doesn't matter what you want to do. So long as you have those three things, I think you'll be set. Because people around you will understand and see what it is that you're looking to create and develop. And you'll likely find like-minded individuals who will then be like, I, with this guy, I like the concept. I'm entertained by it. So therefore I want to either be a guest or share it with someone or whatever the case be may be part of it. Yep. Yeah. So that, that's what I would say.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And I, I can attest to that now uh, because I think it's so true. And I I, 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 you know, just posted that I wanted to do a podcast and I was just mind blown with how many people either wanted to be a guest or, you know, were at least, you know, they're like, Oh, we're excited to hear what you, you know, what you do. And I was like, Wow. Like I did, I did not expect that response. Right. So you're absolutely right.
1: right. Yeah. To that, to that respect as well. One of the things that I do often, cause I, I speak to mostly like middle school, high school kids. I often go back and try to do as much work as possible just to kind of inspire the next generation. Love it. So for them, I always say never, be afraid to tell the person next to you what your goals and ambitions are. Cause you never know who's listening. Mm -hmm. You never know who will perceive it a certain way. And so I was able to partner with my business partner because when we were roommates freshman year, I talked to him about my future goals and ambitions. And so fast forward four years after we were roommates, he was like, I remember the conversations we had late nights where you talked about wanting to start something in fashion or wanting to become a big designer. I believed in you then, I believe in you e- even more now, so let's do something together. But again, it started because of those conversations of not being afraid to tell somebody what it is that you would like to do.
0: Sounds like the takeaway here is just do it, take action. A part of that action is expressing your, you know, hopes and dreams or whatever to anyone that'll listen because yeah, that's how you find the people that will help you build that dream.
1: And that being said, it's scary as hell. Oh yeah. So I'm not going (laughs) to front and say, oh yeah, you know, it was so easy. (laughs) Just do it. Because in hindsight, I I do tell, you know, specifically, I talked to my girlfriend about different projects and she's like, wow, you just make it seem so easy. Like, yeah, just put $10,000 and then just do this and this. And then she's like, but that's acquired knowledge. You were able to understand how to maneuver and move your money around so that it, Grew exponentially. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, it's a learning process and it's scary. And you don't know what, if you'll be in business in the next two months or the next year. But as you continue to grow year one, year two, year three, year five, year 11, you become a little bit more confident in your ability to keep things afloat. Hopefully, um, you know, if something really bad happens, you understand that you can pivot, but you've learned all the skills. So, all the skills you've learned. Throughout the time, and you will learn throughout the time, you can then invest those in other projects if and when this does not work, or your project that you're looking to develop does not work. So nothing is for not. Everything has a purpose, so so long as you stay true and remind yourself that everything I'm doing, every opportunity that I'm taking a part of is going to eventually help me in the future, you'll
0: be set up for success, no matter what. You gave so much value right there. I appreciate that, man. Now... Let's talk a little bit about the early days. Sure. Yeah. Now it seems so far away now, right? right? (laughs) Yeah. But what do you remember that feeling was like? Yes. Obviously you had no idea if this thing was going to work out. And like you mentioned, you were probably like super scared. I mean, in comparison to now, you, you have that knowledge, you have that experience. But aside from that?
1: Yeah. I think early on, one, I was super excited to start something because Growing up as a little kid, I've always been an entrepreneur. Even at eight years old, I was selling candy, like at my dad's soccer games, and being like, "Hey, can you give me fifty bucks?" and then flipping that fifty bucks to like a thousand dollars as an eight-year-old, nice. and then buying Legos and be like, "Yeah, I'm rich!" Like you know, <laughs> uh, got your own money. Yeah, exactly. Wait, can I ask you something? Real quick? Yeah, go
0: ahead. Were you the kid like at school that would also like sell chips? I did not sell
1: chips and candy at school, but I did sell chips at my home. My I come from a family where we're entrepreneurs, like okay. not super successful. Like my mom, uh, when she first immigrated to the United States, she was a seamstress, and so that was the only job that she could get. Uh. Eventually, she needed to leave that job to take care of all of my sib myself and siblings, and so she then became a uh, licensed uh, cosmetologist. So she would cut hair at home, and so I saw that as an opportunity to then have a built-in clientele because people would come over to my house to get their hair cut for Dude, my mom. So I had okay. a steady stream yeah. of people coming to my house. So what I was like, well, what if I just buy chips, candy, ice cream and sell it from my refrigerator, sell it from my own home? So while she was cutting hair and had clients, I was the <laughs> little kid being like, hey, yeah. can I offer you something to drink? Can you I offer look you thirsty. <laughs> right, exactly. So I was making money at eight years old. I didn't understand the skills that I was learning. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then when I was in college, I kind of forgot that I even had all that inherent stuff that I'd built from an early age. But so it was scary when I was first starting, because I'd kind of just, you know, it's, it's hard. You, you kind of have like a imposter syndrome. I think it's, it's natural where everyone's like, well, am I good enough to do this? Like, why should people listen to me or care what I'm looking to do? But also I knew that all the successful people in the world just literally did something put one step forward like jumped off that plane and then we're like hopefully I have a parachute so for me luckily the parachute that kind of helped guide me in the right direction was I was like I'm going to start this fashion label because I think I have a sensibility for like mixing colors patterns and prints but uh I heavily relied early on on the found knowledge that I I had a light bulb moment I was like ah my mom used to be a seamstress when she immigrated from the uh, from uh, mexico to the united states right. like she can surely tell me where to source like fabric and can help me learn how to sew and so i relied on her for some of those uh, those, type of those types of skills mm-hmm. and so andrew's mom also was a seamstress when she immigrated from china and wow. so there was already family ties we right. didn't realize because we just took it for granted they were next to us like growing up they're it's our like, moms whatever like, oh it yeah they so they do something <laughs> but you know kind of leveraging our backgrounds upbringings and being like hey there's a wealth of knowledge here that we didn't even realize that people pay a lot of money for like people go to manufacturers and pay a ton of money to get stuff made yeah i'm gonna learn from her I'm going to take her knowledge because she wanted to be a fashion designer when she was growing up. Oh, wow. just that her mom was like, nope, you're one of the oldest of 13 kids. Like, I need you to come home. Mm-hmm. Help me take care of all of them because you're going to be the second parent. Right. So she basically left her dreams of being a fashion designer to then help her mom uh, basically raise 12 other children.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, she was the oldest. so. Luckily, now she's able to kind of, you know, live vicariously through me. She works as my production manager at the factory. So she's in awe all the time with all the, like, you know, the places that we saw our stuff in Asia and all over Europe, she's like, oh, my God, I never thought I'd be able to do this. But I feel like I'm a part of the process as well. And then she gets super into it where she'll present stuff to me and be like, hey, I designed this. What do you think about it? I'm like, "Uh, OK, mom, I didn't like I ask for you. this, but <laughs> OK, sure, whatever. Well, I, I mean, I'll present it to somebody and see, yeah. you know, what happens. So she's able to kind of pursue that. So for me, early on, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to rely on her. Now it's it's super cool crazy to think How about the roles that i switched. was able to kind of open up a lot of opportunities for her to be able to express herself live her dreams through what it is that we're looking to create but yeah scary didn't know what we were doing had no money but we were like we're gonna try to figure it out and i, I will be you know very candid like i was gonna quit two months in to like even starting this because that was my
0: next question actually. yeah
1: i did an event uh in inglewood and you know, we wanted to start a formal wear business. So we started with just bow ties. And I was like, yeah, bow ties, you know, it's something that not a lot of people wear, but it's different because I don't want to do what everyone else was doing. And like, I wanted to create a niche market. And I was like, at least that will get people's attention. Either they hate it or they love it, but they'll be like, oh, interesting bow ties. So I did an event, uh, a two-day event. And I was, you know, it was a few hundred dollars to do it. And it was for Father's Day week. And I was like, we're going to sell a ton of money. Like, this is going to be our... Make it moment like, Mm -hmm. you know, very first event. We're going to hit a big. I sold maybe three or four items. We ended up losing uh, money. (laughs) Yeah, we didn't break even. We were sunburned. We were exhausted from the two days of working. I looked at Andrew and said, Andrew, I can't do this. Like we're paying a ton of money to go to USC like it's fifty plus k a year. Like uh, this is not paying the bills for anybody. We're losing money. That's we're supposed to make money, not lose money. Like mm-hmm. what is this? So I was like, I think I'm done. And he said, Give me an opportunity, one more shot. Let's give it a shot. Like we haven't we we've barely done one thing. Just like let's try, do yeah. another thing and see if it works. If it doesn't work, fine. Let's we'll quit. We'll go our respective ways. I'll d- do movie production. You can do architecture. So we did another event. But he did his market research. The first mm. event was kind of like, just throw something out into the world, see what happens. Yeah. And it failed. He was like, I'm going to do some market research. I heard there, there's an event in LA called Unique LA. I'm going to go to it. I'm going to people watch. I'm going to talk to the vendors, see if they're selling stuff. He came back and reported. was like, holy shit, people were selling a ton of like stuff. There was a ton of buyers. Like, I think we can sell stuff here. And I was like, how much is it? He's like, well, it's three. It's 400 bucks to do a table or uh, $700 to do a full booth. And I was like, Whoo, that's a lot of money. The price has gone up since then. Yeah. The price has gone up (laughs) since then. I was like, Oh, that's kind of a lot of money. Uh, okay, fine. But if we don't sell any money, we'll be in the whole, you know, $400. Fine. Let's do it. Let's take a chance. We did it. We ended up selling like $2,500 worth of stuff within, um, you know, that show. And then we got into two stores, our very second event we did. And I was like, ah, if we do enough of these every Mm. single weekend, For X amount of years, you know, that can equate to hundreds of thousands of dollars a year if we're consistent about it. So that was really my first like a light bulb moment where I was like, hey, this is something we can do if we're persistent about it. But also I need to be open minded that not every event is going to make us money. Like some events we're going to lose money. Other events we're going to, you know, maybe make connections. It just so happened that that very first thing that I I was going to give up on. I met someone's cousin who I work with now. His name is Rome Castell. He's a recording artist. He writes for Leon Bridges. Nice. He's been very quintessential to the development, our growth. He's kind of been our muse for our brand for the last 11 years, him and Briggs. Uh, But I met their cousin who introduced me to them from our first event that I thought was a failure, a waste of time, a waste of money. I met them through that through. So that proved immediately to me that like nothing is a waste of time. Even if you don't make any money, even if you think it's a waste of time, you never know who you met. You never know who you're going to talk to, what connection could arise. So just a little bit about the, the starting process.
0: That's awesome. And yeah, I mean, that investment ended up coming back, you know, what, tenfold, right? Correct.
1: Yeah. To this day, I meet people that are my clients who are getting married and they'll spend maybe two grand on a suit and say, Hey, I met you uh, eight years ago at a pop-up you did at the Rolls Bowl in Pasadena. I was like, Oh, I literally <laughs> only did that once. And I thought it was a waste of time wow. and it was $300 to do it. Yeah. But eight years later, they're like, I remember you. I remember your accessories. I was getting married and I wanted to go with you to support something local. That's so it's nuts. just wild to see that because you tell yourself, you know, in your head, you're like, yeah, what I'm doing is working, and what I'm doing will end up paying off. But it's always nice to see and to have someone tell you, yeah, that event that you thought was a waste of time that you stopped <laughs> doing actually worked 10 years later. Right. You know, so it, for, for me, it's just about consistency. It's about continuing to do it. 90% of the work is really just showing up. Mm-hmm. 10% of it is actually being hopefully good at what it is that you do. Yeah. Being reliable uh, is a big portion of it and being consistent with it, what it is that you do, right? So we pride ourselves on our consistency, like on our ability to continue to innovate and pivot. And I think those are all ingredients to becoming successful in whatever field you're in.
0: I completely agree. I have a curious question. Sure. Ever since the pandemic, for a while, a lot of people weren't going into the office, right? Right. They weren't going into the office. They weren't needing to, for lack of a better word, dress up. Right, right. How did that affect your company specifically? Because you, I mean, that's like your is your bread and butter, right? Yeah,
1: bread and butter. That's where you know the majority of our business came from for the first seven years of our business, uh, eight years of our business. It was interesting in that we had opened a retail store that we'd had for four years in downtown Los Angeles run was pretty high for that. So obviously being in a position where we had to shut the retail store down because we couldn't operate and not knowing what would happen. Like after the fact was a very scary time. In fact, I literally saw my retail store on KTLA people were writing and looting stores in downtown Los Angeles and being like, that's my store. They're going to break in. Uh, I, I had the, 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 for uh the foresight to basically kind of remove everything from my store, I was like, okay, if mm-hmm. if the entire world is going to shut down, people can't work, people are not making money, then it's going to hit the fan. Yeah. And so I was like, we're going to clear everything out of the retail store and we're just going to assume that we won't be opening for some time now. This yeah. could be two months, could be three, could be longer
0: and so it reminded me of the office it's like yeah it sounds
1: yeah yeah so basically i i kind of like packed up all my stuff and said okay i'm gonna have to take a forced vacation i haven't taken a vacation in like five years this is going to be a forced vacation that will require me to sit down and have be in my thoughts maybe that will give me an opportunity to just be and uh, so we sat down for about three days and and uh, me and andrew were kind of just playing video games and then eventually, Andrew's like, I'm sick of playing video games. I'm sick of this this doing is your, your business my business partner. partner. I'm yeah. sick of doing nothing. I think that we're smart. I think we can figure something out. And I was like, okay. But uh, I have to go do something so we can talk about this when I get back. Mm-hmm. I get a phone call a few hours later. Rodolfo, I need you at the factory because we'd also bought a factory pre-pandemic, about a year before the pandemic, we bought a factory. Okay. It's like, I need you to come back to the factory. Uh, because for us, it was scary. We had X amount of employees. We also didn't know what to tell them the day that we had to shut down, the, the day the city shut down. Like, yeah. well, hopefully this comes back in two weeks, we told them, but we just don't know. But anyways, Andrew's like, I need you to come to the factory. I just got off the phone with the mayor's office. And oh my goodness, we are going to start producing face masks because we own a factory we can turn around things. We're going to pivot. And this is how we're going to stay alive. Wow. And so immediately that day, I dropped everything I was doing. I was with my girlfriend, uh, who at the time I was just barely starting to date. Yeah. And I was like, sorry, we're having lunch, <laughs> but literally I have to leave. That's and she was crazy. pissed at me. And she was like, she tells me all the time that she was like really annoyed. She was like, I'm not, am I ever going to talk to this guy ever again? Because I <laughs> literally dropped what I was doing. And said, I gotta go. I have to go because this is a bigger picture thing. This is not like something small. At the end of the day, I felt a big sense of urgency in that I wanted to do something. I was like, I'm hearing things, and Andrew had been following the pandemic for a while at things that were happening in Asia. And it was like, we have to do something. So we first sought out to actually donate masks to hospitals, that was our initial plan and goal and we were like hey while we're doing that we'll also open up for retail model and so the mayor's office came the health department came they allowed us to open within i want to say a few days of being closed so all of our employees came back immediately but it was a very weird time because we all didn't know what COVID was, we yeah. all felt like, oh my God, we're all gonna die. Yeah. And it was but The, a very scary the amount of pressure that we had on our back was was intense. But uh I was getting calls like as soon as we said we did an Instagram post saying we were gonna start doing face masks and immediately got inundated with thousands of calls, thousands of emails, people calling me like we need to order fifty thousand masks and we need them tomorrow. And me Whoa. being like, ah. Uh, we literally just finished the pattern, <laughs> like we don't have elastic. <laughs> what we have is fabric because we bought a fifty year old factory, so luckily it came with fifty years worth of stuff. Like, right. you know, we just didn't have elastic and so we were trying to import that from overseas. But who do you call? We literally called hundreds of places, everyone was closed, the rest of the world was shut down while we were in the back end trying to make things happen. I it just so happened that the hustler in me was like, Somebody has to be selling stuff. So I was driving through the fashion district in downtown Los Angeles yeah. and I saw some like Mexican dude on the corner. He was slanging elastic. He was his entrepreneurial spirit was there. He's like, yeah. everyone's closed. I think people need to start making face masks. Like I'm gonna start selling Smart. elastic. So I pulled over and was like Where'd you get that elastic? He's like, "How much do you?" He's like, "Yeah, what do you want? Like two yards, three yards?" I'm like, "How about a hundred thousand yards?" <laughs> and he was like, "Uh, like I'll see what I can uh, do." <laughs> I have like three rolls, and I was like, "It was kind of like making a drug deal." <laughs> it was like, "Take me to your supplier." Like, who is it? Get him on uh-huh. the phone. Uh, let's let's. <laughs> I want to make a big deal with you. So he made some phone calls, and the next day, like I was able to go into a a big warehouse that had a ton of elastic. But it was that kind of like pivoting maneuvering. And it was like, yeah. okay, I'm like street smart as much as I am business smart. Mm-hmm. So I leapt into action just like Andrew leapt into action and called higher ups at right. the city. I was like, hey, I need to be on the ground level, try to figure it out. So, yeah, we were able to open up. We hired 20 staff members additionally, and we were working literally seven days a week, 16 hour days. So those were very stressful times for me and Andrew, because again, we felt like people's lives depended on us. And so that came with a great sense of urgency, a great sense of responsibility. You know, as much as it was great that we were very, you know, it saved us. We were the most profitable that we had ever been in the history of our business but it also can obviously came with a toll and that toll for me was like mental, mental drain and, mm-hmm. and just being wanting to do something to help. And so that's my COVID story in terms of how we pivot, but it came through doing just that. Just do it. Yeah. I don't know how the hell to make these masks. I don't know what the procedure is. I don't know what the CDC is requiring. I don't know where to source things. There was a million, I don't know questions but we were like, just do it. Just figure it out. It's not going to be perfect. Iteration one will not be perfect, but we have to do something. It's better than sitting on our hands and not doing anything. So we tweaked the mask a few times while we had launched. So yeah. we launched for the first people got something. The second batch, like th- two weeks later, got com- something completely different. And three weeks later, when the rest of the world started catching up and we finally got the proper elastic, then the the model kept changing. But It was our ability to just say, we just need to do something now because people cannot wait for this. Yeah. So let's just jump into action that helped us like get over, you know, the pandemic and now that things are coming back now, our suiting business is back, our hospitality business. We deal with a lot of hotels and do uniforms and, um, but we were able to diversify our business and that's what kept us alive and, and ultimately made us more successful than we ever had been.
0: Yeah. Uh, so so, yeah. so basically from from that experience, you know, in COVID, that's what kind of pushed you guys to d- diversify to and diversify, grow the, the business? Do other
1: things because at the time we owned obviously a apparel brand named Pocket Square Clothing, which is mostly formal wear. And then we also bought a manufacturer to keep the manufacturer alive because a year prior we got a phone call saying, hey, we're closing in two weeks. And I was like, oh, uh, part of our brand ethos is made in Los Angeles. So I had two weeks to scramble money to figure it out. Like, is this worth it? Is it not worth it? I took on the factory. I bought it because I kind of twisted Andrew's arm a little bit. And I was like, hey, we have to do it. He's like, I don't want to get into the manufacturing business. Eventually, he's like, okay, fine. We have to do it because the women have been working here for 30 plus years. So it was also like they were a part of our family asking them what they were doing after the fact. Yeah. It was weighing heavy on me. And I was like, there's a human toll that will also come with the factory closing. It will not just be a financial toll on us. It will mm-hmm. be a human toll. And I couldn't sit around and do nothing. So we bought it. And would the you first say, sorry,
0: was it, would you say that's the architect in you?
1: Uh, I don't know. If that's the architect in me. I think that's just the human in me just okay. being like, I mean, I've known these women for... I'd been working with the factory for eight years. They yeah. were like family members to me. You know, they were the ones that were keeping my business alive and making me financially soluble. And they were doing favors for me. I was like, hey, I know you have a bunch of clients, but I have this little small order of 10. Can you squeeze it in before them? And mm. they were very flexible. And I appreciated that. And I wanted to pay my appreciation and saying... I will take the onus of spearheading the future of this and making sure it doesn't fail because I'm committed to it. Even though I don't know anything about manufacturing, even though I don't have a lot of money or capital liquid that I can just do it. A lot of it was tied into my retail store and tied into all the other investments I had made, but I will take on that risk. And year one was very hard. We realized why they were going out of business because they were losing money on projects. They were losing $8 a garment so we are paying money to actually make product mm-hmm. for people. But it was taking an intense look at all of our finances and figuring out why is this going under? How can we save it? And then as things were going well, the pandemic happened, and then we were like, we're screwed. But uh, quick thinking on our feet, and again, our ability and understanding that we just have to do it, and then we'll figure out if it fails, and we sell you know, 200 masks, 300 masks, you know, oh, so be it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's more than just we would have made just doing nothing because we right. were not selling any ties. We weren't selling any suits.
0: We weren't doing anything else. That's insane, man. That this all just started with an idea. And then was it your roommate, your college roommate? My, my college roommate. Yeah. yeah, we were just buddies, he, homeboys. We were just yeah. would
1: talk at night and it was a small conversation, a big dream. You know, his his first financials were like, first year, we're making a million dollars. I was like, how sway? (laughs) How are we making a million dollars the first year? Far from the truth. We made nothing close to a million dollars. First year, we sold maybe $13,000 worth of merch, worth of product. And uh, for me, I was kind of discouraged. I was like, damn, a year one. I was still in school. Mm -hmm. I was studying architecture. I wrote my architectural thesis on custom and bespoke suits. But yeah, it was $13,000 is all we did the first year. So it was a little discouraging because, you know... Having these large projections and then not doing anywhere near that, it was a wake up call. Like it's not that easy. You're gonna have to work for it, and it's gonna take you time. Year two, we did fifty thousand. Okay. Uh, A little bit more respectable. Mm -hmm. Still not paying livable wages. Really, it's you know him and Andrew, myself and Andrew, were splitting that, so it's covering operational costs. We were still living at home, so we had you know a safety net. Right. So it we, we wasn't like we just went out and did this on our own. We did have a fa- safety net of people who supported us. Year three, $100,000. Okay. We're making progress. <laughs> $100,000 is not bad. Three years, split between the two of us, 50 k Obviously, there's operational costs that are involved with that, cost of goods, et cetera, et cetera. Year four, $125. Okay. okay. Uh, we didn't grow as much as we wanted year four. Uh, after that, two hundred thousand, two hundred and fifty, half a million, one million, two what million. What
0: year did you reach a million?
1: I wanna say it was probably close to year seven. Like, s- like seven years in probably was is when we hit the million dollar mark. Wow. Uh, so it took a while. Uh keep in mind it's just me and Andrew. It's two people yeah. hustling, just in the trenches, working every single day to just try to Make this work. Pandemic, two, three million dollars. I literally learned to be a photographer, videographer, web designer, graphic designer. Literally learned to do everything because I didn't have money to pay someone to do it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I can now implement all of these skills, design a product, have my sewer my sewing team at the factory make the product sample, shoot the product in my photo studio. Create a website within 48 hours. So I did everything within 48 hours from conception. From hey, develop product. 48 hours later, I had a tangible product on a website. Boom! It's and up we sold two hundred thousand dollars worth of product. Wow. But it was eight years of found knowledge mm-hmm. that allowed me to turn around something in 48 hours and be able to move that amount of ca- of of product. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we we minted, we minted out in a bear market, which was crazy. You know, we were able to sell seven thousand seven hundred and seventy seven NFTs, uh, so that roughly equated to the mint price of two point plus two point five mil uh, within the first day in terms of mm. the the pre mint, yes. <laughs> and then subsequently did a bunch of trade volume uh, after that, all because people believed. And what it is that we've been creating for 10 years. They were like, Hey, these guys know what they're doing. They're serious about doing it. They've been doing it for long enough that we're willing to trust in their ability to take this project, you know, and make it something that's a globally recognized brand. Mm -hmm. The next brand, Hidong and friends that we're launching in a few months, we want to position it at like a hello kitty. So the next hello kitty, but that's the kind of dreams and ambitions that we have, you know, every year, Our dreams and ambitions get bigger, 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 and bigger. And that's how it should be, right? Right.
0: It keeps you with something to chase, right? Correct. Because
1: I'm not going to lie to you. Like, there's times where, you know, I finish a big project and it's weird for me. Then I'm like, okay, now what? And then sometimes I feel bad for like spending a month or two not worrying about the now what and just being in the moment and being like, hey, I've worked so long. I think I deserve a month to of literally course. just not think about what I'm doing next and just be in the moment. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm constantly thinking, what's next? Mm-hmm. How can we improve? How can I get better? And if you if you have that mentality, it will get you places. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Your story so far, and I'm sure there's many more, right? Other little acne- ac- anecdotes? Anecdotes. Oh, the there's Thank a million <laughs>
1: anecdotes that I could talk about for hours. I could write a book about all the little... Failures we had, you know, spending, for example, money on a manufacturer overseas in Asia and being scammed out of like $2,000. Not everything makes you money. You do lose money. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to sit here and, and say that, you know, everything I've done has always been successful because it hasn't. The specific project hasn't been successful, but the overall company the overall story, the overall vision has become successful because I've been there and Andrew has been there to push it forward because we're again, this is our livelihood. We love what we do. We're fortunate enough to be able to wake up every day and say, I don't work for someone else. I can kind of create my own schedule if I want. Obviously there's, you know, I have clients that I have to, you know, adhere to their timelines and stuff like that. But, uh, very liberating to be able to just say i get to do what i love
0: yeah that must be the be, you know the best feeling out there i i can't say I, I can relate yet but you know every i'm sure everyone that's listening to this podcast right now has started on that journey just just the fact that they're listening to this you know listening to your story that proves that they want something like that or something just even if it's not as big still bigger than what they have right Right. now and that's okay
1: right absolutely absolutely i would say there's nothing wrong with having a fifty thousand dollar a year company you know if it's just you by yourself and so long as you're comfortable and it brings joy to you hell even if it's ten thousand dollars it doesn't matter yeah uh so long as it brings joy to you then then that's that's the biggest takeaway that you can have from something i mean that being said also just being humble, too, I, I think is, is very important. Like, What does that mean to you? For me, being humble. Uh, for me, it means just carrying yourself in uh, a humble way. Like, I, I don't need to flaunt, okay. you know, I, I don't need to. Even if you can? Even if I can, I don't need to. And, of course, flaunting comes in, in different manners because I like dressing well. And so for me, maybe people would see that th- that's um, flaunting, but I express myself through fashion, yeah. and that's why I, I do that. I think having hu- a humility to be able to help people, like being willing to talk to anyone and everyone and not being like, nope, don't have the time for you, can't yeah. talk to you. Obviously, as you get busier and busier, your, your schedule is it's harder to be able to do that. Right. But uh, if someone calls me and asks for a favor...
0: Like, say, be on a random podcast. That <laughs> be on a random podcast yeah. or,
1: hey, I have this concept or idea. Can you give me half an hour and an hour of your time? Be more than happy to do it because I want to pay it forward. I understand that for us, it was very hard to start because we kept getting a, a door slammed in our faces. It was like, nope, don't want to carry your product. Nope, don't have the time. Can't tell you anything. Uh, too busy. Like, figure it out. and. Mm. I, that that being said, there is value in doing the work yourself. Like you don't go to someone and be like, How do you do it? Like I just was in New York and a photographer came up to me, took a picture of me, and he was like, All oh, right, I took a picture of you. So now I he felt like he owned me or he owned a certain level of my attention and time. Mm. He took a picture, I asked, took a picture, and he was like, Hey, I want to ask you a question. it's like, Are you here for NFT NYC? Yes, I'm here. I started a project, was fairly successful. Okay, great. Uh what are NFTs and uh, how do I start one and uh he literally that's
0: not how you approach the situation I literally <laughs> uh, and then I
1: was like well I gave him you know 10 15 minutes of my time Oh you still, yeah, gave, still him gave him your 15 time Yeah so I him minutes. and wow. then he was pushy he was persistent yeah. no oh, I want to show you a picture I have this picture I want to sell it for a million dollars how mm. do I do that mm. And it's gotcha, just like gotcha. I don't have all the answers for you like right. that's Learn knowledge that you have to discover for yourself. Like, mm-hmm. I can't put a value on your art. You can put a value on your art, but that doesn't mean somebody's going to pay a million dollars for this picture. Yeah. And he was very pushy and persistent, like, why can't you look at my phone? I'm showing you this picture. And I was just like, bro, I, I literally have a, a talk right now on a panel <laughs> at Ace <A's laughs> Hotel. And I'm on my way there. I stopped to take this photo just to be polite. Yeah. But uh, he he thought he owned me. And that's Mm -hmm. the wrong approach. Yeah. So obviously don't go to someone and expect them to give you every single answer. Like do your research beforehand before going into meeting. uh, And people are willing to help so long as they see that you're working harder for it. Like there's no worse feeling than as a person giving the advice being like, Right. This guy did no research. Like Mm -hmm. he knows nothing. He, I literally gave him all the answers and then you give them all the answers and then they don't go and implement what it is that you've done. Right. So So if there's any advice I have to anybody, is, yeah, do the work and people are willing to give you advice. But so long as you're, you're showing that you're, you care about it, you're persistent, you're serious about what it is that you're doing. So for you, I I saw that you were serious about this. You've, you know, clearly wanted to start a, a network business and, I've kind of gave you a little bit of advice here and there about how you might be able to position yourself and do something within the space. So I appreciate Which the hustle.
0: An, sorry. That's actually another conversation. Cause I think I'm gonna have to put that venture on hold for now, but yeah. Fair. Those but that, I saw the hustle. Yeah, yeah. I saw
1: the hustle. And so I appreciate that. I appreciate your willingness to ask questions, but also put your money where your mouth is mm-hmm. to say, I'm going to take a risk and do this. And if it works great. And if it doesn't, Fine, I'll pivot, I'll learn from it and move forward. And so mm. long as people see you doing that, they will be very willing to lend a helping hand and humble themselves mm. to not be like, hey, I'm the you know, I've been doing this for eleven years, I'm an OG, yeah, you know, I've made so much money or whatever the case may be, I don't have the time or day to talk to anybody about it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've say when I say humble Being yourself humble. Okay. to going back to where I came from the hood, yeah. I was didn't come from money came from immigrant parents who struggled and worked their way up to make a little bit of money to be able to buy a few homes, uh, to be able to leave something for us. But yeah, just work hard, stay humble. And I think things will pan out for you.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I have one last question. Sure. Has nothing to do with anything we just talked about, but I want to end these podcasts like on a, Hopefully a high note. I say hopefully because here's the question. What song currently is your like your life soundtrack? Oh, that's such
1: a hard question. It's a fully loaded question. Because I don't want somebody to go in, in, in and be like, okay, I'm going to listen to every lyric. Right, and like <laughs> oh, no, dissect so every, it, right? Dissect <laughs> it and understand,
0: wait, why is this his favorite
1: song? <laughs> and then...
0: Uh, Now that I think about it, it is a pretty hard question. It's a hard question.
1: It's a hard question. I I don't know that I have a a soundtrack to my life, honestly, if I can be completely candid.
0: Okay, let's uh, narrow it down to a certain vibe. How about that?
1: Certain vibe? Yeah. I mean, vibe for me would be like old school, like James Brown, like the big payback. Nice. nice. Is the cost to be the boss? Maybe that's it. Is the cost to be the boss? Like at the end of the day. Being the boss does come with its bruises and comes with its cuts, and again, it's a twenty four seven job. If you do what you're do, what you love doing, like it's hopefully it shouldn't feel like work. At least most of the time. <laughs> Sometimes <Yeah. laughs> it does feel like work. I'm not gonna lie, and I'm like, oh, I'm literally sitting here <laughs> selling product at a little <laughs> festival uh, when I could be maybe relaxing, at home or, relaxing right. or doing something but it's part of the journey mm-hmm. um i would like to say that i probably won't ever get to the the this stage where i feel a hundred percent comfortable okay. um because there's always more to build there's always more to do yeah and it's always important to diversify your portfolio in terms of your money streams
0: mm-hmm. i like that yeah and i think that's what um. I've heard that a lot of people who, especially once they start making a you know a res- reasonable amount of money, that's what they do, and I think that's very smart, right? Maybe in the beginning you can't, right? But at some point when you see that it's a possibility, definitely start to diversify, right? right? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and it's it's understandable not to do everything. I don't want everyone to go in and be like, okay, hey, I'm gonna start three companies tomorrow, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm do it. And I know people who do that. It's just hard, especially
0: if there's only one you. Well, I cannot thank you enough. You're the first actual recording. I don't know if it will be the first episode. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, if either good, way, I'm first <laughs> recording is
1: an, an honor. Happy to help you on your journey. You know, hopefully everyone else... Will uh, be as interesting to me. No, I'm just playing.
0: (laughs) Ah, dang. (laughs) No, I'm just playing.
1: Uh, But yeah, no, I really do appreciate you uh, being able to allow me the opportunity to share my story. I don't do this often. I do interviews often where I talk about the company, Mm -hmm. projects we're working on, but never being able to spend, I don't know how long it's been, maybe an hour, really talking about the journey of how we started, some of the struggles, and then kind of my takeaways from it. Right.
0: which is the biggest thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And hopefully,
1: hopefully somebody's inspired out there to just get up and do it. And and don't worry about if it's perfect. Like your first project won't be perfect. My first ties were crap. Like, you know, they frayed, they were fuzzy after a certain time. They didn't look good, Mm -hmm. but it was learned. And the understanding that, you know, I told my clients, this isn't perfect, but it's our first thing that we're doing. And people really appreciated the transparency. They appreciated the, willingness to experiment with materials that were unorthodox yeah that uh, really got their attention so again just just get out there do it experiment fail
0: succeed
1: find your fail successfully yeah find <laughs> find find your niche and then and then uh, you'll find success that way but thanks so much man
0: of course again thank you for for doing this and where can people find you on social media yeah
1: yeah if people want to look me up my Instagram handle is gonna be Rodolfo underscore PSE. That's going to be the same for Twitter. Uh, And then you'll be able to find links to all of my other social platforms as well as companies that I own through there. So give me a follow. I'll give you a follow back. Uh, Again, I'm very accessible as a person. Like I'm willing to lend a hand wherever possible. I'm willing to have a discussion. So long as I see the other person's working, then I'm, I'm right there for them.
0: Awesome, awesome. And I'll make sure that it's linked in, you know, the podcast bottom section. I don't even know what it's called. I don't know the technical terms. I'm still learning myself. In the bio. There you go. It'll be in the bio. (laughs) Yeah, so so just
1: click on the bio if you want to reach out to me or find me.
0: Excellent. Well, that has been Rodolfo Ramirez on Raspberry Lemonade, a new podcast, refreshing new podcast, diving into the stories of industry professionals, the sweet and the sour. So thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. This has been a Redbird Studio production. We hope you enjoyed the program.